It's the film that unleashed demons, souls of the damned, and an insurmountable horde of internet Wanda fans onto the multiverse. On today's episode, we review Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So watch your neck, because the byword begins now. Welcome to another all-inclusive episode of the Nerd by Word, the only podcast that can review films without resorting to googly-eyed graphics. Dave and I are here with our masculinity intact to review Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was recently released on Disney+. Was our resident horror fanatic pleased with this Sam Raimi flick, or was his bloodlust left wanting? Only time will tell. But first, it's time for... Really, Dave? Starting off with a killing spree a bit early in the news segment? I can't help myself. You've got to get started somehow. Uh, so uh, this news story is kind of niche uh, if you're a fan of the uh, video game Overwatch because there's some movement coming now on the sequel Overwatch 2, which was announced several years back and then hit some snags and you know has been delayed a few times. It appears to be now coming uh, in October. Uh October 4th, to be precise, and as it looks, <laughs> the original plans have changed massively. Uh, apparently, upon original announcement, the plan uh, that Blizzard had put in place was to sort of patch and update the original Overwatch game and create a sort of shared multiplayer environment between the original and the sequel while still leaving the original playable in some state. Um, that has apparently gone out of the window uh, as uh, Blizzard has decided to go into a different direction. Now when Overwatch 2 drops uh, in October, it will actually um, replace the original Overwatch game. Uh, basically, then you're going to get a large update file that's going to... Uh, get rid of the original game and just replace it with Overwatch 2. Um, the um, PvP, player versus player mode, is going to go free to play with a um, announced PvE mode, basically a campaign, for lack of better term, uh, being uh, delayed further and arriving separately at a later point. Now, this is notable because Overwatch, you know, it's it's always been a constantly changing animal uh, with tweaks uh, coming, you know, through various updates. But this is a, a pretty significant change in game mechanics as the 6v6 game mode is going to be scrapped in favor of a 5v5 uh, game mode instead. Um, there's also, uh, basically, the new game is running on a completely different engine, uh, which is one of the reasons why it took a little longer to make this. But beyond that, uh, it's also pretty light in, like, new features, but, you know, beyond some tweaks. Uh, from my understanding, there's going to be uh, a new hero uh, in Season 1, and in Season 2, there's going to be a new hero and a new map. Uh, and that seems to be pretty much the extent of the Overwatch 2 situation, which is not much of an update. Yet at the same time, 
it is going to radically change you know the way the game is played as every little balance change you know can have huge impacts on this game uh, obviously from a game preservation standpoint this is kind of you know sad um you look at uh something like team fortress 2 which has been you know running on pc what seems like forever at this point you know uh, i didn't really see a reason to completely eliminate the original overwatch game here um but apparently there's a, a pretty dis- there's a pretty strong movement here from Blizzard to make sure that everybody gets on board with Overwatch 2. Um, not quite sure how to feel about this. I will freely admit I haven't played Overwatch in a little while. Um, I did play it religiously there for a little while, uh, almost on a daily basis. It was my, my my main escape for a hot second, and I have uh, very fond memories of the game. Um, but you know, it's it's the whole situation is just extremely weird as you're basically talking about something being a sequel, and on the other hand, it seems to be more like a a, a substantial update uh, to the game rather than like something that has enough content to be you know considered a true sequel. And then on top of that, you know, whatever this campaign uh, PVE is uh, eventually going to shape, uh, you know, to be. Who knows when we're getting it at this point, as it's, you know, been delayed yet again, and it's going to arrive separately. It's a very, very odd situation for a game that I have, you know, a lot of warm and fuzzies for. What are your thoughts about this, Chris? This is crazy. So it's almost like a Pokemon evolving and it can't go back. So um, pretty much. Yeah. So this is crazy. And and I'm glad that I heard this news because um, I've, I've long kind of been sitting on the sidelines looking and like thinking about starting playing Overwatch. But now I know to don't really invest a whole lot if everything's going to be wiped, you know, when Overwatch 2 comes out. So um, I'll, I'll just continue waiting. And that seems to be like the thing to do with the the delays and everything i'm up as we've talked about ad nauseum on the show I'm, I'm very much more a pve campaign type of player i kind of just like sitting in a bubble anything that that takes up a lot of time to strategize with the team and having to network with a bunch of people on mic is 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 more than more of a commitment than i can generally make when it comes to video games so um it's just not my vibe so if anything, I'll probably wait till the PVE is released to dive in here. But um, yeah, this is this is wild. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the good news about the free-to-play uh, PvP situation is that, you know, it's probably going to get some people to try it uh, that would probably have not tried it otherwise. And the bones of the game are extremely good, um, at least, you know, for part one. I'm assuming that a lot of that is going to continue into part two. So I think there's, you know, a very worthwhile game in there. It's just a very, very odd way to go about this all right so chris you have some interesting star trek news for us yeah paramount plus's hit comedy series star trek lower decks will be getting its own three issue comic book miniseries from idw in september eisner award-winning writer ryan north perhaps best known for his work on the unbeatable squirrel girl is penning the script while chris finolio handles art duties the animated series a previous nerd commendation of yours truly which is set to release its third season on Paramount Plus sometime this summer, has been a breath of fresh air in an often far too self-serious franchise like Trek. The comic will follow the further adventures of Beckett Mariner, Brad Boimler, Samantha Rutherford, and Devon Attendee, with one of the first issue covers bolstering the phrase, 
rarely going where no one has gone before, this book is sure to encapsulate what fans love so much about the show. The title is set to release September 14th of this year. And again, this is basically, for all intents and purposes, like a like a if like a I don't want to go to the level of like a robot chicken Star Wars, but like kind of like that that corner cubicle of uh, select a set of cubicles that people are like on the lower rung of the totem pole that are kind of forgotten about in the grand scheme of things. You know, Star Trek is very much like, look at this captain, look at the first lieutenant, all these officers and how they lead. And it's very, very a serious thing. And so to kind of turn that on its head and to, to, to make like these, the satirical jokes and to be self incriminating like that it's really really a fun kind of change of pace for star trek so again star trek lower decks i recommend it again and again and again and to see this three issue miniseries i have not read the invitable squirrel girl but i get the vibe and it seems like it's a it's a perfect uh you know creative team to have on the title See, I like the humorous take on venerable franchises, which is why, among many other things, I'm a big fan of the Harley Quinn uh, HBO Max show that we just talked about uh, last week. So uh, I've still not watched Star Trek Lower Decks, but it is very high up on my list of something that I want to check out. Uh, and much like Harley Quinn had a very successful miniseries uh, spinoff there that bridged a gap between season two and three, I can see this probably doing very well also. So as soon as I get the chance to dive into the actual animated series, I'm also going to jump onto this comic book. You better believe that, Chris. It sounds like it's right up my alley. All right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. When we come back from this, our first break, we're going to be reviewing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> Hi, I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. And let's talk about movies. With over 3,000 films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything two wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephil. Welcome back and welcome to today's Byword. And celebrating the Disney Plus release of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is undoubtedly in the midst of a global pandemic and the continuing effects of that illness, uh, gives a lot of folks a greater opportunity to have viewed the film. So we have waited until this release to review the film. Um, and so as is our custom, we have each three likes and three dislikes of the film to kind of give you a balanced view of what we thought of it. And, uh, and then we'll go to an overall grade. So Dave, what is the first like of this? I saw this one from outer space. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise as a huge horror movie fan that just the little horror vibes that Sam Raimi infused uh, this movie with were right up my alley. Um, you know, when a lot of people heard, oh, Sam Raimi is going to be directing uh, an MCU movie, you know, it was all about shades of, you know, his original Spider-Man trilogy and all that. But for me, uh, Raimi is best defined 
for some of his early work uh, in the horror genre. And I would really give my left foot for him to actually like direct a full on horror movie again. I think he has a, a strong uh, talent and a lot of experience in that direction. Um, so, you know, when they said multiverse of madness is going to have, you know, some horror movie vibes and they're going to have Sam Raimi direct, it felt like this was going to be like the closest thing we're going to get to a Sam Raimi horror movie for a while. And the cool thing is that although the movie for the most part, I would say was not scary, it played so well with horror movie imagery. Uh, there was just so much to love here. Uh, the, the cool mirror scene, um, you know, with Wanda and how she comes through, you know, this reflective surface and has like, you know, all these different cuts on her face and stuff. Um, you know, the whole cape made of the souls of the damned zombie Doctor Strange, all of these little, you know, very horror things sort of repackaged um, for for the zoop- superhero genre. And I really, really adored that, um, you know. My, one of my favorite scenes uh, in Spider-Man 2 is still, you know, the operating room scene with Dr. Octopus, which was just straight out of, you know, the Sam Raimi playbook. Um, that scene is just absolutely flawless. Uh, and so seeing that Sam Raimi uh, direct an MCU movie was a ton of fun. Now, again, I want to qualify. This is not a horror movie. It's, you know, a superhero movie. It is definitely an MCU movie through and through. But... Uh, Easily, the coolest thing about it is that it actually played a little bit with the, the the visuals, and I think you're going to talk more about that later. And by infusing some uh, horror touches into it, it, it created a movie that had a pretty unique look across you know what we've seen in the MCU before. And you and I have talked about this previously. How it's so important that you know the MCU MCU keeps you know uh, diversifying, creating variety. Not every movie can look the same. Not every movie can feel the same. This is the only way that this movie franchise can continue. And bringing in somebody like Sam Raimi to direct a movie in this vein was absolutely the right call. And so all the horror stuff, all the 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 kind of scary vibes, even though they weren't all that scary, were absolutely perfect, man. Um, speak for yourself. They were very scary. Um, when she pulled that um, full spoilers, by the way, if you haven't watched the movie, why are you listening to a review episode? But if you have not watched the movie full spoilers, uh, when she came through the mirror, like that girl out of the ring and was like twitching and like her limbs were all over the place. That was legitimately terrifying. Um, and then I also got shades of like um, insidious you know, all the jump scares and everything. That was probably the closest that I could in my limited knowledge of scary movies. But like, that's exactly what it reminded me of a lot of jump scares in this movie. Um, when she's chasing them down, when, um, they're on their way to look for the book of the Vashanti and they're in those like, looks like sewage sewer tunnels or something. And she comes around the corner like that. It's absolutely crazy. So, uh, yeah, I'll talk more about that in my first like, but, but uh, to, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying uh, for me, I think, um, we've talked about this before, but I think my favorite MCU movies are the ones where they have a very individualistic director and they let them just run wild with their vision. Thor Love and Thunder is probably my most anticipated MCU movie in a very long time. It's, I mean, I'll even bridge beyond that. It's probably the most anticipated movie I've been waiting and dying to see for a very, very long time. Um, I'm such a fan of Taika Waititi. I, I 
can't speak highly enough about Jason Aaron's Thor. And so like all those things converging at once um, have me, have me just like bursting at the seams. And so I think with something like guardians of the galaxy um, and, you know, Thor Ragnarok and now this uh, the best MCU movies um, the Russo brothers with like winter soldier and stuff it, it's, it's just let those creative people create, let them cook. And, and I think it was definitely in this film's benefit here. Absolutely. I, I'll wholeheartedly agree with that. I'd Chris, so what is, was your first major like of multiverse of madness? Um, the, the visuals. I mean, it was so creative. It was so imaginative. And like we said, you've got to diversify, you've got to switch it up. You've got to evolve at this point. We're getting, um, to borrow your phrase, long in the tooth with 20 plus films now. How are you going to make it stand out? And that's perhaps one of the criticisms of something like The Eternals is where, yes, it was visually beautiful, but it didn't really stand out. And it wasn't really unique in a lot of senses, you know, perhaps story wise or um, in, in other facets of the film. But I think this one, was they just went for it and... Um, I'm thinking I, I'm going to save one the scene in particular that is one of your likes um, that was probably the best visual of the film and we'll talk about in a moment. But um, I mean, <clears throat> when they were traveling through the, the different multiverses uh, in the first third of the film, that was just nuts. I mean, there was a there was a, like a cartoon universe. There was a hint towards the Savage Land from the X-Men universe with dinosaurs and everything. That was really cool. Um, and to the point where there's an entire universe where they're just paint. I mean, like it was so imaginative. It was so cool. They got broken up into cubes, um, wielding the souls of the damned is like this Dracula untold type of cape slash wings was really, really cool. I mean, they, they freaking went Marvel zombies and they gave us full on zombie Dr. Strange. And that was really, really cool. Yeah, uh, I think that goes along, you know, with with my touch of horror thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Visually speaking, they did a lot of really, really cool things in this. Um, And again, you know, it's that diversification that we're constantly looking for. This movie doesn't really look like other movies in the MCU. You know, it's funny um, when when Mordo is doing like the this this whole, you know, sort of spiel exposition dump uh when he first uh, meets you know the doctor strange of let's say the main mcu um he there's these um fade in fade out transitions and stuff that they're using and i saw recently somebody on social media say that it made it look like some cheap 90s horror movie and i'm like um you know cheap certainly not but horror movie yes that's exactly the point dude it doesn't look like other mcu movies and that's absolutely a good thing the um the other one that was like kind of shook me was um when wanda dream walks into the i believe it's 838 version of herself and she does that look to camera it's absolutely jolting yeah absolutely man all right, Dave, your next like is really an interesting one and lots to talk about here. Yeah, I uh, am, am not familiar with the America Chavez character, and I understand that there were some people that were pretty um, unhappy, generally speaking, with changes to powers and portrayal. And I understand and sympathize with that, especially given some of the things that have happened, you know, with the Miss Marvel show recently over the first three episodes, at least, you know, the first three that I've seen. Um so I, I totally wholeheartedly sympathize 
uh, with America Chavez fans who weren't happy with the character in Multiverse of Madness. Um, however, I will say that as somebody who's not familiar with the character, I, I found the character very, very interesting here. I think a lot of that has to do with the acting and the portrayal. There's sort of an effortless charm uh, to to America Chavez in this movie that I found really, really endearing um, and made me really you know, look forward to maybe having that character bounce off some of the other um, recent additions to the MCU. Um, uh, just imagining, you know, her earnestness bouncing off of somebody like, you know, Yelena Bolova, for example, would be absolutely hilarious. Um, so I, I was very, very taken w- with America Chavez as a character. Um, there are things about the character that I didn't quite understand. Um, I think probably the biggest unanswered question for me was at the end of the movie when she decides to stay in you know, in the MCU, basically, rather than continuing to travel uh, and looking for, you know, her mothers. Uh, I didn't quite understand that. Um, The implication being that she's going to stick around for a while. Why? Um, But everything leading up to that uh, was very, very cool. And again, you know, I sympathize with people who didn't like this particular version of the character. But, you know, just coming in completely you know, cold turkey, so to, so to speak, and knowing nothing except for the name about this character. Uh, I thought this was a really cool MCU introduction of a new character that I hope we see more of, Chris. You're scared of that Spanish name, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> I am, and I'm watching it. Soshidal Gomez. I think they've anglicized it a little bit, like in mass media, Soshi. So she Gomez. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, she's great. I, I think for, for, from what I've, from what I've experienced, um, from fans online and, 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 and my personal friends is the, the biggest reservation is that America Chavez in the comics has typically been depicted as an Afro Latina or whatever that means when she's like a multiversal being entity, Long story short, she has historically been depicted with a darker skin tone. And so that is, I think, the biggest criticism of this casting, which is of absolutely no fault towards Soshi Gomez herself. And I dr- I truly did enjoy her in this film. You nailed it uh, when you talk about like this um, just just innate charm that she has as a character. Um, she I think she, I think her star is on the rise and I think great things are coming for her in the future. She's only 16 years old and it's crazy to have those kind of acting chops at that young of an age. So I, I truly did love this character. I'll talk about that character arc more in a minute, but um, I also was not crazy about her staying in Camartage as opposed to looking for her parents. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I, great minds think alike, right? So what was your second major like of the movie, Chris? Well, just wait till we uh, talk about Wanda. Um, Oi, oi. So I really liked the three major character arcs. um, And like I said in our 100th episode, when we were taking a look back on the things that we've learned, I've really started to kind of diagram and dissect media as a whole a lot more thanks to this show. Um, and so I really appreciated the three major character arcs um, that we saw in this film. Uh, and those three being Stephen, Wanda, and America. First and foremost, Stephen being kind of this 
the beginning, middle, and end, and going on this journey of while traveling the multiverse, discovering things about himself and his shortcomings and having to be that control freak and that through line of having to be the one holding the knife that Christine presents to him. Um, and just that tragic star cross lovers type of situation. Um, it, it was really heartbreaking um, because you see all of the emotion and all of the affection that he has for Christine, as you said, as he says, I love you in every universe and um and for that to be you know not not to be the the end game uh, as he wants it to be and he just can't help being who he is and getting in over his head and in too deep with you know with the dark hold and or whatever um that was really cool to watch and I like that it was not like this happy-go-lucky ending for him and that it was complicated and that it was messy. Um, so I enjoyed that. I also... I, WandaVision was a really complicated viewing experience for me because the hemming and the hawing and just... It, it, it gave vibes of like white liberal whataboutism um, and just... I, I didn't feel enough resolution in the end there for, for Wanda's actions. And so for me, I think that her fully leaning into this character, and of course it is under the influence of the dark hold. So while some people might see it as unfortunate that she did a complete villain turn, you can kind of see the influence of the dark hold at play because you saw what it also did to Steven in another universe. So um, I think also being a parent and sometimes when you're emotional and people that you love are involved, you make irrational decisions because you're overcome with emotion and you can't see logic. And I can fully attest to that. Um, but then not just giving her this, like, like with Steven, this happy-go-lucky ending, and she had to go full circle and see what she had become and that resolution there. And then I think perhaps my favorite arc was America's, except for the whole, I'm a student in Camartage and I made Sparks. That wasn't my favorite, but I did love the idea of her self-doubt being kind of wiped away at the end of the film and the revelation that she actually subconsciously had been in control of her powers and not realizing her full potential um, that was there the whole time. So I thought that was a really beautiful arc as well. Um, and I'm excited to see her in future MCU projects, just hopefully not just another monk at Kamardash. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're, you're not wrong there. Yeah, I think um, this is actually one of the things that was fairly well thought out is, you know, what is going on with each of the individual, you know, main characters, at least these three in particular. I think there were some some missteps with some of the supporting characters, I guess, if you want to say. But these three arcs were extremely well thought out. Now, I don't think the script always lived up to those arcs, but I think overall it is fair to say um, that you're exactly correct. These three arcs and how they move from point A to point B was pretty darn well um, thought out, except I, I, I will add one, one caveat to that, and that is simply... Um, that this movie relied a little heavily on the power of the pep talk. And I know that's an old standby, um, but I think there could have been more like 
uh, character stuff happening there instead of a pep talk. I'm specifically thinking about, you know, um, Doctor Strange is being overwhelmed by the souls of the damned, but he gets a, pa- a pep talk and now he suddenly can control them. Um, and then, of course, the climax. Uh, America doesn't know how to control her powers until she gets a pep talk and then suddenly she does. Um I think there are things that could have been done with the character arcs there, um, incorporating those moments in with their arcs that would have been um, probably a little bit better received. But overall, I totally agree with you. I think the character arcs were pretty darn good. All right, Dave, I'll let you call dibs on this one, but probably the best scene in the film. Yeah, again, we're talking about how they try to do some different stuff with this. Um, I absolutely love the musical note fight. I, I think that was that was absolutely ingenious how that was visualized um, and how they incorporated the the music into the scene and and made all that work. Um, kudos to you know everybody on the sound and visual effects teams because they they worked perfectly hand in hand to create something we absolutely one hundred percent had not seen before. Um, the scene was by far the best in the movie. Um, I will say that I wished that level of inventiveness had been dialed up a little bit in some of the other scenes. I think there's just something about really going weird that I don't think the MCU is not 100% willing to do yet. Um, Can you imagine a whole movie with nothing but fight scenes like this? You know, like it... Would that be well received by by the general movie going audience, or would they just all come out saying, "Well, that that movie was weird," you know? Like, but but I would live for something that just goes that off the wall for the entire runtime. It it was an absolute highlight, and 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 so appreciated in a, in an already very cool visually speaking movie to have a fight scene that was so off the wall. Yeah, I, it was absolutely amazing, and like, I mean, bringing classical music to like one of the high points of your film was just really, really cool. And like having the score punch right at the moment of impact of those musical notes was just like a chef's kiss. It was perfect. Totally, man. All right. So your final like for the film, Chris, what have you got? Okay. So I, I was skeptical and kind of anxious that this film releasing um, relatively close after uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and that dealing with the multiverse and Stephen Strange being a, a central figure in both films. I was worried that this was going to be super connected university. And so it was a, it was not a lot to say about this, but I was glad that I was pleasantly surprised that it had absolutely nothing to do with that because there were a lot of loose ends there at the end with like all those villains um, in the clouds of No Way Home. And I was like, oh gosh, this is how it's going to you know, rely right next into it. So I was very pleasantly surprised that it had nothing to do with that. And that was, was a completely different, clean and neat story in and of itself. And I seem to recall, wasn't there like the big reshuffling that happened at one point because stuff didn't fall the way they wanted to. So they reordered some movies. I seem to recall a reading at one point that Multiverse of Madness was supposed to come out at one point before No Way Home. Am I misremembering something there? Chris? That's I, I think you're right. I'm not I'm not hundred percent certain. So it's it's very possible that you know No Way Home uh changed um to incorporate a lot more Doctor Strange. Um 
because they had to reorder the movies and that, that this movie was like originally supposed to come before and maybe maybe originally the plan was that whatever was happening in No Way Home was going to be more connected to uh, America Chavez or maybe um, it had something to do with the fact that, you know, Strange had traveled the multiverse and now his magic was off or something. Like, I, f- I feel like there's a cart before horse situation here. Um, something got reordered and that's probably why we didn't get more connections. Like, I would have not been surprised given the order of how these movies were released if they would have had like a Spider-Man variant on the Illuminati, for example, you know, like that, that would have been logical given what they did with the previous movie, but they did not. And I think that that gives me that vibe that maybe the order of the movies changed or something at some point. Um, but yeah, I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised as well that there wasn't more callback other than, you know, the question arising whether, you know, Spider-Man, you know, spins webs out of his butt, which is a, a valid concern, I think. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really funny, given, you know, the fact that Sam Raimi was the director. So that was a really fun note. Um, although the thought of uh, Peter being on the Illuminati, speaking of in over his head, like he usually is, that just does not fit. So I'm glad that did not happen. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. But you know how you know how uh, the rumor mongers are when it comes to these MCU movies. All right, let's head into the negatives with uh, three uh, dislikes each here. Dave, what is your first dislike of the film? Have you watched Everything Everywhere All at Once, Chris? No, but I'm dying to. So uh, I've, I've watched a chunk of it. I haven't finished it because uh, it's notoriously difficult for me to get time to watch movies. Um, and it is not fair to compare the two movies because they work completely differently, even though they both work with the multiverse. But I think the one area that I think is fair to point out is that for a multiverse of madness movie, there wasn't a whole lot of multiverse. Um, as far as what we see from like other universes and the like, um, I mean, the beginning of the movie is not technically in its own universe they're just in that like place dimension whatever looking for the book of vashanti fine okay um then we have the mcu and then for the bulk of the movie you're basically dealing with the main mcu and then this one parallel universe with the uh, with the illuminati in it and that's pretty much it except for a very very small note at the end with that destroyed universe which basically means at most we're looking at three distinct universes in a movie over two hours long. And if compared compare that to something like everything everywhere all at once, it just feels like there's a different universe, like every 10 minutes or something. It's just like it, it's constantly throwing like interesting uh, variations of the characters at you. And I feel like this is really where the movie came short in living up to its title. Um, There was some madness there for sure, but it didn't feel so much as a multiverse. It felt more like a, a triple verse. Um, They just, they just didn't do a whole lot with like really leaning into, you know, how many, how many variants of Dr. Strange can we throw at the wall and see what sticks, for example, like really lean into the concept. Um, And I think the problem that we're going to end up with is, between this movie now and No Way Home, there is already unrest, I would say, in the fan base a little bit, that maybe the multiverse thing is about to be played out. We also have that that we also have that movie that shall not be named on the DC side coming soon that's gonna deal with multiverse. And so general audiences are like already, uh, 
more multiverse? Don't you have any other tricks? And this fad, if you will, is going to go away before any one movie has a chance to really lean into it and go full bonkers with it like you can. And I think that that is going to be the great missed opportunity of the multiverse concept is that we're never going to get an MCU movie that's just like, you know, absolutely bonkers like let's let's have 10 10 different doctor strangers standing there talking to it you know council of reeds anybody you know uh like any of that stuff is just gonna go go away because the the multiverse fad is gonna start fading so i don't think the movie did enough with what may be the last throws of this concept on the big screen. I mean, we'll in the comic books, we'll go multiverse till the cows come home. We've not gotten tired of that yet, and we never will. But on the big screen, you know, general audiences are fickle. I think we're missing an opportunity here, perhaps, Chris. Yeah, um, I totally agree with everything that you said. My one hope that I'm holding out for is how incredibly amazing Jonathan Majors was as Kang in Loki. So... Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, like I'm excited about that and seeing him return to the character and kind of being the master of the multiverse, if you will. So like, that's the one thing I'm holding out hope for as, but I, but I totally agree. Uh, I mean, like at most three universes, it was, it was particularly a letdown for me when we saw that scene that I referenced earlier, where they're traveling through all those different um, universes <laughs> And so like kind of setting up these high expectations that I had for like the remainder of the film and then being limited to three universes was was a, was quite a downer there. Um, you go from, you know, a universe in which they're freaking paint to just like these are standard universes with like a different Instagram filter. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was disappointing for sure. All right, Chris, what is your first big dislike of the movie? I think we're going to have something to talk about here. The fail Illuminati. I mean, you talk about um, just a hint at where we're going, nerd commendations uh, next week, maybe. But uh, the Illuminantes, which is sheer genius marketing, by the way, the Illuminantes would wipe the floor with this Illuminati. It is. It was. I mean, for all of the hype surrounding this film, and this kind of plays into the not enough multiverse type of situation, but like. All of these cameo queens showing up for them to get destroyed immediately was very disappointing. While I will say it was really awesome to see Wanda go unhinged and just destroy everybody. I would have liked to have seen those that fight go on a, just a tad longer because we made up all this hype around the Illuminati showing up and all these characters that people have waited so long to see on the screen in the MCU just for them to be deleted within a matter of seconds. It was, it was very disappointing. Yeah. Um, I think that is the nature of what you get when you're looking for cameo, 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 you know, you're packing a whole bunch of cameos in there. None of the characters are going to be serviced particularly well. Um, and I think that's exactly what we got here. I think the the Illuminati were were cannon fodder, um, and so you know they're introduced. And you think, oh, this is going to be really cool, and then they just like kill them all. That's on, for the one shock value. This typical horror movie thing: introduce a bunch of characters and kill them off one by one. Um, and and also just you know, I think there's a certain amount of um, 
wish fulfillment there and then messing with expectations because on the one hand everybody's like oh my god you know charles xavier's gonna you know patrick stewart's gonna be back and they were like yes he's back but we're gonna kill him off in like two scenes and and then you know oh where does the movie go from here it's it's a nice play with the expectations uh that being said it would have been nice if they would have done something i mean you can kill a whole bunch of characters like that in in a superhero scenario um and still have them have some kind of like victory where, you know, they're all throwing themselves at this enemy, sacrificing themselves one by one, but it's, you know, they're, they're buying time to execute some kind of plan or something, but you know, they were so uncoordinated and flailing about and everybody was doing their own thing and they're never really truly worked together in an, in an effective way. And ultimately they didn't really accomplish anything they set out to accomplish in that whole sequence. So I think, you could have had that cannon fodder nature of the characters and still and and, and still um you know done something you know worthwhile with with all those deaths by having them be meaningful sacrifices i think that's a that's a big missed opportunity i mean these these are the people who helped defeat Thanos without having to have a snap and a five-year whole, you know, everybody's gone thing or half of the universe is gone thing. Like, they must have been at least competent at some point or another, you would think. Um, But they did not seem competent in that sequence at all. I will say, one caveat, the what mouth scene legitimately shook me to my core so that part was amazing but like so if i were if i were if i were like plotting that out i would have had that and then the other ones were like oh my god and then they had to kick it into high gear and then the fight lasts a little bit longer than it did i just needed a little bit longer good gracious also her giving patrick stewart the cassandra nova treatment uh from emma frost in 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 morrison's new x-men was was poetic justice in a sense so legitimately made me scream there too Oh, absolutely! All right, Chris. That uh, that brings me that brings me to my next dislike. I'm gonna go ahead and make my own transition here, um, and I'm and I'm just gonna tell you that I'm very very unhappy with one uh, aspect of this movie that I think bears further examination. So. I have no problem like so much of the social media sphere in turning Wanda into a villain in this movie. I, I think it works incredibly well. Uh, and, I, and I think it, it probably was the right thing for this movie. However, what I didn't really like is that it creates a huge disconnect between the ending of WandaVision and the beginning of this movie. Um and there is a cheap answer to that, and it is extremely cheap. Because again, you were just praising the movie for the character arcs and how the characters develop throughout the movie. But if you reach the end of WandaVision, you have Wanda coming to her senses, realizing that you know she's taken this whole town hostage, that she was wrong to do it. She has sincere regret. Um, and she goes off basically to you know think about what she's done wrong and try to figure out a way to restore her kids. Um, and then by the beginning of this movie, she's just like full on evil and and it's like, you know, contemplating already, you know, murdering a a variant of herself, like right out of the gate so she can steal her own kids away from herself. Um, and there's a big disconnect there, I think. And it also leads to a, a pretty significant question. Um, and that is what about vision? 
you know, a character that had this really emotional send off, yet a version of the character was for all intents and purposes alive. We had, you know, that fully white vision at the end of WandaVision. And yet Wanda never makes an attempt to maybe go find him, restore his memories and his personality, maybe work together to restore their kids. Nothing. It's just immediately like, I read this book and now I have a taste for murder. Um, and I know it's like it's the corruption of the Darkhold and all that, but that's so cheap when we're talking about a movie that tries really hard to have strong character arcs. Uh, there's just this huge disconnect between where we left Wanda and where we picked up. And I think we, we, we're we missing a piece there, you know? And it would have been smart to have that piece in this movie, even if it's a montage of 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 her you know, trying and failing again and again to restore her kids. And then, you know, coming across this idea of the multiverse, just like some kind of like five, three minute montage, whatever, to kind of explain this disconnect a little bit and make us feel like this story and and WandaVision are of a cloth. Whereas WandaVision was about grief and trying to overcome grief. Um, You know, we leave her in a place where you think she's getting there and she's going to be okay in the long run. And then Sully's like, Nope, murder time. And it's just, it's, it's just a disconnect, man. And I didn't, as a big fan of WandaVision and, and how it too experimented with the MCU formula and all it did. Um, I, I was not happy that they didn't find a better way for this villain turn to happen. It felt, you know what it felt like? It felt like nineties WWE, when Stone Cold Steve Austin comes running out with a steel chair and you think he's going to help the, you know, help the good guy. And then he turns the steel chair around and hits the good guy with it. And you're like, Oh no, shock value, heel yeah. turn. It came out of nowhere. No foreshadowing, no reason. Boom. I'm a bad guy. Now that's what it felt like. And, and I think that did a disservice to the movie. Yeah. I think it's the deus ex dark hold of it all. Um, and, and I think, well, I, I buy into that. Like I said earlier, like I see bec- like succumbing to that grief or that trauma and making irrational decisions because, you know, that's something I've, I've seen happen before and specifically with something like the dark hold. But I think that it would have benefited, like you said, from like a three to five minute scene, um, just kind of like a continuation from WandaVision. We left off with her levitating and reading the dark hold, but just to see like a connective thread and a continuation of that, I think it probably would have had to have been placed after the reveal because that was a cool moment where she like accidentally says America's name and then like everything like the veil is the gig is up and the veil is removed so then like it may have had to been a flashback scene but yeah i i think it was relying a little bit too much on something like like the dark hole to to do that much heavy lifting yeah i I, that 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 right there is really my problem um you know i've been corrupted by the bad book is is not not great you know uh character development i guess is what i'm saying all right, Chris, what is your next dislike? And here, too, I'd actually find myself strongly agreeing with you. Yeah, so while I was a fan of the three major character arcs, one character arc that was very disappointing to me, particularly as this character has shown up in recent MCU projects, and I've really been excited about where this character is going, uh, I'm not a fan of wimping out Wong. For Pete's sake, he's the Sorcerer Supreme, and he gets washed in every single fight in this movie. Um, he kicks butt in, you know, Shang-Chi, he kicks butt in, you know, No Way Home. 
Um, and then like he suddenly becomes an inept, like comedic joke here in this film with how easily, you know, he gets wiped out. And so like justice for Wong. I mean, like I, I love like the whole, um, I'm not a part of this. Like I'm, I'm getting too old for this type of vibe where he's like, he can't be bothered. I'm the source of Supreme. Like I'm, I'm, I'm over this type of stuff. And so seeing him get wiped out so easily was very, very disappointing. Yeah. You know, Wong is really weird in this one. Uh, I don't, that's what one of the things I was hinting at. Um, when uh, we were talking about like character arcs and like, you know, Wong doesn't have one. There is no Wong character arc. In fact, he's wildly inconsistent from scene to scene. Um, You know, for example, in one point he says, you know, she cannot, she can't be allowed to possess the dark hold. And then, you know, one of his, uh, you know, other sorcerers sacrifices herself to destroy the dark hold and that's like, you know, that's it. You know, she's finished. And then she like threatens like a couple of other random like set extras. And he's like, no totes, I'm going to give you the other Darkhold version. No problem. Like, and then by the end of the movie, he's all like, you need, you need to kill America Chavez and take her power so we can defeat the Scarlet Witch. And I'm like, dude, how about you just let these other two random extras die and not tell her where, you know, she can find a new copy of the book and we wouldn't have this problem. Like he's wildly inconsistent across the movie, whether he's willing to sacrifice or not willing to sacrifice, how far he's willing to go. Um, Wong is not quite himself in this movie. And and that is definitely a writing issue. Speaking of which, the fact that we didn't get more of Rintra the Minotaur, I mean, like talk about not going for it and not being imaginative enough. Like, how are you going to give us a green skinned Minotaur and then completely just shelf him? Uh, you know, as like the sacrificial lamb. It was crazy. So like, let me shoehorn that one in here. (laughs) (sighs) I'm going to tell you something funny and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm totally leaving this in, in the edit. My phone is blowing up right now because apparently uh, I have once again said something that made Snyder fans angry. Um, And so I'm getting all these notifications on social media that the Snyder horde is after me again. I, I dared say something on social media about Superman again, and they're all coming after me. Were, it's it's a what were you thinking? I don't I don't know, man. I don't know why I keep talking about my all time favorite character on social media. <laughs> I should just know my role and shut my mouth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another reference. Hey, hey, don't be a jabroni online. It's a wrestling kind of day, I guess. <sighs> all right, is that the ice cream song I hear, Dave? Dude. I was going to lead with that in the tease, but then I was like, I don't want to scare off fans. <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph, man, what happened to those kids? They are the same kids as from WandaVision. And they were fantastic in WandaVision. There was some really heartbreaking acting going on. You know, like when their pet died and all that. That, that was some fantastic stuff. These kids are very, very skilled actors. And then we get... Whatever the crap is happening in this movie. <laughs> um, I don't know if Sam Raimi is just not good at directing kids. If the writing just wasn't there. Uh, I don't know. But it's not just the ice cream song. It's also like really this overwrought, overdramatic stuff they do. Like, oh no, it's a witch. It's a witch. Let's like, throw stuffed animals at her. 
<laughs> like, dude, it's 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 literally a woman that looks like your mom. Mom, and you woman. did not pick up on that? Come on. Yeah, you were like, oh, it's a witch, it's a witch. I'm like, you know, dude. Burn it's, it's her. Just... She turned me into a newt. <laughs> I got, I got exactly. <laughs> and that's the problem right here with, with the with the movie is is, you know, I wouldn't fight to have these little brats back from the multiverse. Like, like really? This this is who you're bending, you know, reality for and everything. It's the the kids that throw stuffed animals at you because they don't recognize you as as the mother. It's just absolutely bizarre. Um, but yeah, the acting was very very weird from a couple of actors that for child actors are incredibly skilled and did a really good job in Wandavision. And I'm just doubting my sanity in 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 how they suddenly like lost all that skill. I think it's. It almost feels like George Lucas directing Hayden Christensen. Like you know, you know the guy can act, but somehow everything that's actually in the final cut doesn't make it look like he can. Like we know these kids can act, but in this movie, it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, I'm gonna backpedal a little bit because it made me think of something that you said earlier. I forgot to comment on the fact that like Vision is not present at least in this 838 universe is really weird. I don't know if like if that's a consistent thing in all the other multiverses. Is she a single mom in every one? Did Vision die in every time? Like that's so that's weird. Also, can someone set a homegirl up with an online dating profile? Like help her out. Maybe we could save the multiverse. I think she definitely would uh, would benefit from having a, a little more vision in her life. Hey, but yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know. I think that's one of the problems that we we come across a lot in the MCU. It's not just about the dating thing. It's also just like about the abandonment thing, you know, like, like people get abandoned a lot in, in, in the MCU. It feels like, like something traumatic happens to them and then they're just left to their own devices. And we look at what happened with, with Hawkeye. Um, like nobody thought to maybe pick up the phone and check on him in five years or something. Um, Wanda gets left alone. My, my God, if you looked at Avenger Con in uh, in Miss Marvel in that first episode, they're talking about like the sacrifices made by by Black Widow, right? But but not a but not a word about Vision getting killed. And and so it's it's very very odd and very selective, and it's like nobody has stood up in in universe and said, you know, maybe we should support each other a little bit better. Like you know, um, Black Widow was running around talking about how she found a, a new family in the Avengers, but these people don't take care of each other for squat. Yeah, um, Falcon can't even get a home loan or anything. Like that's messed up. Yeah, that is totally messed up. But again, you know, it's that it's that abandonment thing. Like people keep getting abandoned in these movies. Um, there would be something interesting if somebody would pull on that thread and maybe you know do something storytelling wise with that. Like you know, why why don't we take care of each other better? Get get a mental health care plan for the Avengers or something. Maybe Scott Lang hasn't released that podcast episode yet. Hey, <laughs> that's the most okay. So, like not to put the cart before the horse, but that's like the most perfect thing ever. <laughs> It's the most Scott Lang it's thing It's the most right Scott there. Lang, yeah. All right, so um, your final dislike, Chris, is um, it's a whopper. Yeah, so I'm going to make some people mad here, but I'm sorry. John Krasinski as Reed Richards does nothing for me. I'm a super fan of The Office, and so I love John Krasinski and his work, but I think this is the most fan service thing that I've ever seen in a superhero film. The suit looks amazing, but as far as the delivery 
it didn't give me a single thing. And I know it was only like two scenes, but like that, that doesn't, that's, that's, that doesn't give me Reed Richards vibes. Um, I, I, I really hope that this is just a touchstone, like Sir Patrick Stewart and like a very fan servicey thing, which I know that I always say nostalgia is a hell of a drug, but when they had the X-Men animated series theme combined with the yellow wheelchair, I did get goosebumps, admittedly. But I hope that this is just a touchstone and we move on to something else. I hope that John Krasinski is a pretty busy guy, so that gives me hope that that he will not be the Reed Richards going forward. But I, I did not see it. It was not for me, and I hope that we get much more inspired casting moving forward. Yeah, so um, I think that is absolutely fair. Now, I will say that I know a lot of Office fans struggle to see him as anything other than the character from that show. Um, As somebody who's never really delved too deep into The Office, um, I have a very different view, I think, of John Krasinski. Like, um, I thought that Amazon Prime show, particularly the first season that he did... um, what, you know, where he's like more of an action actor. I worked shockingly well. I really like uh, liked him in the quiet, uh, a quiet place. I, that's a really really good horror movie. I liked it a lot. Um, so I didn't have a problem with visualizing him as a Reed Richards type character. But I will say that I agree that the acting wasn't there. But I don't think the acting needed to be there. I think this is basically um, this is the MCU version of shut up about it, right? Fans have been, you know, fan casting him forever. Here you have, you know, three minutes with him as that character. Now let's move on, okay? Like we're going to try something different in the MCU. And I think that's ultimately what we're going to get. Um, did I mind him in the role? No, but I also don't think he came with his best acting hat. Um, imagine if he would have come in there and he would have blown everybody away. It would have just made those voices louder. I almost feel like he kind of phoned it in because... I don't think he really has an interest in the role. I don't, I don't think and a lot either, of, yeah. And a lot of people who are like casting his wife as Sue Storm, um, you know, Emily Blunt, I, I, I adore her. Like, I adore her in like 40 different ways. I've never seen her in a movie that I didn't enjoy her acting in. And she would be totally awesome as, as Sue Storm. But she seems to have even less interest in the possibility. So it felt to me like maybe he just walked in there, he phoned it in. To basic for everybody to basically go well that was underwhelming let's just go ahead and redirect our fan casting energies and that you know maybe they finally leave him alone about it and leave his wife alone about it and they can go about their own projects again do i think that john krasinski is perfectly capable of acting uh, in a strong fantastic four movie as reed richards absolutely i believe that do i think that's necessarily the most inspired choice certainly not uh and much like the throves of people online who keep saying, you know, um, that they want Ben Affleck to play Batman again. Like the dude's finished with it. He don't want to do it. Stop harassing the guy, you know? And I think that's what it's coming down with, with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. I, those, I just don't think they want this. And so let's, let's, you know, that you got your little fan moment. Let's let them be. And maybe think about something that might be a little bit more innovative for a fantastic four movie. Now I'm coloring outside the lines again with a like here in the late stages of the episode. But I will say, as much as I did not enjoy that, we got full Blackagar Boltagon, and as a super fan of Anson Mount, I love me some Christopher Pike. 
I know that Inhumans was an abject disaster, probably the worst thing that Marvel Studios has ever put out there. But holy crap, if we get a full-on Black Bolt, I would not be upset. I wouldn't either. Um, You know, again, the Inhumans thing, my my strongest connection really to the Inhumans comes just through, you know, Ms. Marvel. And given the revelations of, you know, of episode episode three of Ms. Marvel, (laughs) um, that doesn't seem to be like a connection that's going to exist in the MCU. So as far as the Inhumans go, take it or leave it. I I just want the big puppy. (laughs) <laughs> like Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel needs a big, big puppy, uh, and 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 you know then I'm else, good. You know who else does? Iman Vellani. Well, let's just say that she has absolutely flawless taste. In every interview I've seen with her, she's absolutely one hundred percent spot on with what she's saying. So she 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 seems to be uh, a fan herself, which is just really really cool. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk for this week. Our likes, our dislikes, and everything in between of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. So watch along with us. Tell us your likes and dislikes. Hit us up on social media, at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram. But when we come back from our final break, we're giving you two more nerd commendations exclusively set in the 1980s. Stick around. All right, we're back for everybody's fan favorite segment. You know it as. All right, it's an 80s off, Dave. You're up first. Yeah, so um, let me go ahead and punt back for a second and explain something. Um, I have always been a guy that prefers, um, you know, obscure smaller stuff rather than the big hits i had my issues with you know back in the day when titanic was first released and everybody was talking about it that i didn't watch it for like years afterwards because i was sick of everybody talking about it and i did the same thing um several times after that notably the matrix was something that i avoided for a long time um i'm definitely avoiding morbius because i'm sick and tired of the morbid time memes um but one thing that I didn't avoid, because I guess I, I had a chance to watch it before the hype train really went through the roof and I could get sick of it, is Stranger Things. Um, as a child of the 80s, um, it it's just was a very, very cool show for the time period it's set in. There's really good writing there. It has those horror, horror vibes that I appreciate so much. Um, and it has a little bit of that old... Amblin spark of like those old like kids getting in trouble movies from the 80s you know I'm talking like you know Goonies and E.T. and that kind of stuff that it actually really spoke to me right from the get-go and so naturally we have now Stranger Things season four already um and although I haven't finished the season completely yet I'm a good batch of episodes in and I have to say man it's it's just as good as previous seasons um in fact, I think there's an episode in here uh, that stands out enough that I think it could be like a big award winner. Uh, acting, visual effects, all sorts of stuff. Um, I would not be surprised if it starts shoveling some awards. So uh, Stranger Things, obviously, is about a group of kids that is fighting some supernatural evils in their hometown of Hawkins. Um, and, of course, features a character, uh, a young girl who has uh, some superpowers uh, called Eleven. 
Uh, season four picks up with uh, part of the cast relocating uh, to California and Eleven being depowered for all intents and purposes. Um, a new evil rises in their hometown and uh, Eleven now needs to find a way to get her powers back. And I have to say, um, once again, the, the cast of this show is absolutely ridiculous. The acting is so strong throughout. Um, it, it's it's absolutely fun to watch. Uh, the chemistry between the individual actors is through the roof. Every time that they add new characters, those characters mesh in well with the rest of the group. There's just really a lot of fun to be had with this. The 1980s setting never lets me down from the, the obscurest little references to guest stars like Robert England, Freddy Krueger himself popping up. Um, there was a shot of a television screen showing the Ewoks cartoon uh, in one of the episodes. I mean, all of this 80s-ness of it all. And I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, the 80s fad is fading. We don't need 80s set stuff anymore. But, you know, Stranger Things is is sort of its its own thing here. And even you know, even if you're kind of getting tired of the 80s set thing, there is so, there's so much other stuff going on here. Uh, strong visual effects, good writing, great acting, cool horror vibes, um, that even if you're tired of that setting, I think there's something here to love. So although I'm concerned about some of my favorite characters as I kind of get into the final stretch of the season and whether they're going to make it out alive, I'm just so, so pleased that even you know, in its fourth season, this show is still firing on all cylinders, and we still have one final season, season five, to come. So uh, if you've not jumped on the Stranger Things bandwagon, you should. And if you have been, you know, watching the other three seasons and you're wondering if season four is any good, yes, yes, it is. And you should definitely check it out. I think I'm going to probably have to succumb to the wave of popularity for stranger things if for no other reason that that my daughter is like the um the resident evangelist if you will of all things stranger things so um she almost like pops in and asks me every day if i've watched it yet so she's she's very much obsessed with it so i may have to take the dive yeah and i i I can't wait to talk to you about it once you do maybe we can have like a stranger things episode where we kind of dive into what we like and dislike about the show i think that'd be interesting um all right so chris you're staying in the 80s believe it or not what have you got yeah so um not even having seen stranger things i immediately saw this game listed on xbox game pass and got stranger things vibes immediately i showed it to my daughter she's like yeah it looks like stranger things um so Generation Zero is an open-world co-op first-person shooter survival game that can be played online with three other people or solo. The game is set in 1989 in a post-apocalyptic alternate reality Sweden, which has become overrun by killer robot machines. The robots vary in size from small spotting drones, lightly armed scouting bots, all the way up to larger bots that loom over the houses. The player assumes the role of a Swedish teenager who, upon returning from an island excursion, finds that the local population has vanished as a result of the robotic invasion. The player must survive the Swedish wilderness while attempting to both determine the fate of those who used to live there as well as find a way to defeat the machines. And this game's really fun and like like a low stakes, just kind of plop in and shoot up robots and looter shooter type of game. Um, it's really fun. You get to customize your character with gear. You can be like a... Um, 
a stereotypical nerd with big glasses and like a, a cardigan uh, and a digital watch, or you can be like a punk rock kid, or you can be a preppy kid with a letterman's jacket and um, fully customize your character. And uh, it's really cool. Like, like the, um, the landscape alone um, of, of Sweden is just majestic and beautiful to watch unfold. And then going back and forth between these safe houses and bunkers and, you know, creating a storehouse of, of inventory and um, building up your repertoire uh, is just really, really fun. It's like not a really like huge commitment to play. It's just fun to blast up some robots and um, visually alone. Uh, it's, it's worth the no extra cost on Xbox game pass. Um, for some reason, it looks like the reviews are kind of low on this. Maybe people had higher expectations, but it was a self-developed game, self-published by um, Avalanche Studios. Was released in the March of 2019. But I really enjoy it, and like I said, it's it's not a whole huge commitment. You could just kind of play whenever you want and shoot up some robots and have a good time. It sounds absolutely up my uh, alley, and I'm definitely going to download that just as soon as I get to your uh, one of your other recommendations, that darn TMNT game. Oh man, I can't. I can't wait to give that one a shot, but I think I'm going to put Generation Zero next on my list. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd Byword. We thank you so much for hanging out with us. Be sure to give a five-star rating and review wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Amazon Music, or our fancy new website, thanks to Dave, nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media, where we always are interested to hear what you have to say about our show, criticisms, suggestions. We're here for all of it. Um, you can find us individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave, uh, and of course also at Nerd by Word. And be sure to slide into the Discord server where you can chat about comics, video games, give us your own nerd commendations, give us ideas for future episodes, and what you thought of previous ones. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.